Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a strange and deadly sleigh. Hey! Uh, welcome to the Strange and Deadly Show, brought to you by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records. On this show, we discuss films on the Section 3 list related to the video analysis. I told Tom I wasn't going to be annoying before we started recording. Changed my mind. <laughs> uh, we pair up our films every fortnight based on a theme. You can find out more information about all of our podcasts over at gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com and subscribe on iTunes via any podcatcher you might be using. We'll give you that information again and also tell you how you can get your feedback and comments over to us at the end of the show. Well, Merry Christmas, every. Buddy. We're actually recording this show just before Christmas, unlike Jules Holland, who records that bloody hootenanny in October, Tom. <laughs> bloody cheating, piano-playing git. Yeah, yeah. Well, no such uh, messing about here, mate. When we do a Christmas show, we do a Christmas show. We do, and we do it properly, and we, we uh, ensure that we uh, stick with the theme by talking about two films that have nothing to do with Christmas <laughs> whatsoever. But uh, look, we hope you're having a good time, folks. We hope you've got all your Christmas shopping done and everything. But look, now, relax. You need to listen to us. We're the final Christmas present, really. Really, we're the only Christmas present you need, I think. Uh, but I happen to think very highly of us, of course. Massive ego. Uh, Tom, how have you been lately, my friend? I've been okay. I've been good. You know, just trying to get everything together as usual for this time of year. It seems to have crept up a bit uh, this time, but that's probably because 90% of my life was playing Fallout 4. But I've finished that now, so I can do other things. So, um, mm. you know, which I will, uh, I'm sure, well, something I'll be doing later on, but we'll we'll talk about that in a sec, I think. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad at all. How many hours did you end up clocking in Fallout 4? Do you have a um, a sort of estimate of that, or did you uh, look at it in I'm the... I'm not sure. I'm sure it shows you in the stats. Yeah, it'll be on there somewhere, won't it? But I, I don't know. But yeah, I got I got onto a certain mission that seemed to be like, okay, this is the end. This is towards the goal. And I thought, you know what? I've, I've had a good play of this. And to be honest, once you complete it, you can carry on playing anyway. You can do you yeah. know, any, any missions that aren't uh, the main mission based so uh you know I, I do pop on and carry on and take care of my little settlements and so on so you know there's still a bit of mileage in it and like you say the dlc one day when that comes oh I'll, yeah you'll be back I'll Tom. Be they, they they've got your fingernails their fingernails in you <laughs> you're not going anywhere but tom uh fallout 4 of course was hugely hyped and lots of people uh were talking about that uh pretty much non-stop in the gaming world but at the moment the planet is aflame with hype about a certain low-budget independent movie called star wars the force awakens mm. and uh it's an interesting thing tom because you you sort of uh asked me the other day in a, in a message you were telling me about a force awakens steelbook that zavi have got up there of course zavi uh, never one to let the steel book lie. No, 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 no. <laughs> have to uh, get in on the game as quickly as possible and charge twenty five quid for him. But uh, you linked me up to the Force Awakens steel book, and of course I you know, probably went up there and bought it. But you asked me a question. You said you, you sort of you, you didn't really know if I was a Star Wars fan or not. And I guess we'd never really spoken about it before. But I, I'm a huge Star Wars fan and have been since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, what's it What's it been like for you? I would imagine you, much the same. I think so, and and you're right. It's funny. I know you like horror films. I know the kind of horror films you like. We we share a lot of the same taste in in a lot of ways, and we both love the superhero stuff. But we've never talked about Star Wars, and I think for me, I know. it's because loved them when I was a kid, grew up, and you know, I, 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 
people seem to make a bit of a career of prequel bashing, but it's not so much for me that they enraged me. It was more that I just didn't really connect with them at all. So it was just kind of like, well, if this is Star Wars now, and at that time we didn't think there was going to be any more films, it was like, well, if this is it, then it kind of killed my my passion for it really, but The Force Awakens seemed to have awakened it, Chris. Very good. <laughs> Giving you a little bit of applause there. Hopefully it doesn't sound too loud on the mic. Uh, you're absolutely right, Tom. It seems like this is... Now, now, first of all, just in case you guys are worried out there, why are they going to spoil anything? Neither of us have seen the movie yet. Uh, Tom, you're going to go and see it tonight, I am, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so on the Sunday that we're recording this, the 20th of December uh, is when we're recording this. Uh, in the daytime, actually, at half past 12 during the day, which is kind of unusual for us. I've got daylight streaming in. It's very nice. Uh, I'm going to go and see the film on the 31st of December. I've got my tickets booked. Uh, I never go and see a film when it first comes out. I always, you know, sort of wait a few weeks, let things settle down. I go and see it in the morning, so I haven't got to deal with as many people. Don't like people, Tom. No, me neither. Not a fan of people. Give me an empty <laughs> cinema any day. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. If, I'll tell you what, you know, if I was rich, you know, people talk about, you know, I'd give a lot of money to charity and I would rent out my own theatre for, theater for the mm. day uh, so that it could just be me. <laughs> Sitting there, but no, you're absolutely right. This it really does seem like this, like The Force Awakens, has sort of revived Star Wars. A lot of people are saying that this is very much a true sequel to the original trilogy. Uh, the prequels, I was, you know, when I was younger, I was enraged by. I've since come to recognize that they're basically flaws from an egomaniac, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, Mr. George Lucas. Uh, essentially, somebody, you know, people couldn't say no to him. And that's why you got what you got. And I think this having a new creative team, you know, having J.J. Abrams on board, who sort of auditioned for the films via the Star Trek reboot that he uh, directed and the, and the follow-up into Darkness. Um, and has it seems to have done his, you know, a lot of studying of the original trilogy because there's, now even from the trailers, Tom, I think you could see that it's got a real sort of air of authenticity about it. It looks, it looks much more real. It doesn't just look like a bunch of actors against a green screen. Definitely, you know? definitely. It's... Um... You know, I really do hope for the best because I know a lot of people moan about shared universes these days because everyone's trying to jump on it. But, I mean, I love the Marvel one. Hopefully I love the DC one when when that comes along. Um, But I think the the potential for a Star Wars, you know, anthology stories coming off it and this, that and the other, I think it's quite an interesting concept and I'm I'm prepared to run with it for a while and see how it goes and... I'm really hoping for the best. Tom, if we carry on like this, people are still going to be listening to this in the new year. We have to move on and talk about the films that are part of our double bill, don't we? And what is that double bill? Well, this is a serial killer double bill. Um, I'm trying to recall whether I linked these two for any specific reason. I don't think I did. I think it was, uh, it was probably just sort of obsessive maybe obsessiveness but i don't know that doesn't really fit with the love butcher but i can't remember it's too long ago now but yes two serial killer films the last horror film and the love butcher which probably should have been called the love gardener really but anyway (laughs) that would have been better Mm. wouldn't it and we also have to say that this is sort of the beginning of another themed month if you like now it's you know that that's not going to be an exact thing because of course we're we're taking a bit of a break after this episode for the to enjoy Christmas and the New Year. So normally we would have liked to have put out these two episodes within a month 
you know within an exact month but uh, the next episode after this is going to carry on the serial killer theme and we'll tell you about that at the end of the show but for now let's look at these two films they're very interesting sort of quite i would suppose one of them quite grindhousey i think yeah. but um i think they they fit the theme quite well uh, why don't you start, Tom, with telling us about a film called The Last Horror Film, uh, starring somebody that we're both very fond of. Absolutely, a, a favourite of ours. Okay, so also known as Fanatic, Fanatical Extreme and Love to Kill, released in 1982 or 1984 in America, directed by David Winters, written by David Winters, Judd Hamilton and Tom Classen. Uh, Vinnie Durand, played by Joe Spinell, is going to be a famous movie director someday, at least in his own head. He spends his days driving a taxi, though that's merely a public ruse, something he does to earn money to help support his life with his mother. In the reality that exists within Vinnie's mind, he's going to seek out horror queen Jana Bates, played by Carolyn Monroe, and cast her as the lead in his new movie, a movie he has yet to make. The upcoming Cannes Film Festival is where he'll begin his journey toward finding Jana, who he has become obsessed with. He tearfully tells his disbelieving mother that he's off to seek his fortune and flies out to France to book into a hotel so that he can be around the festivities. Uh, Jana Bates has a new film entitled Scream. How funny, eh? Uh, that, mm. is debuting, that is debuting at the festival and all of the critics are raving about it. Bates is the new queen of horror, the star that everyone wants to talk to. She's hanging around the big men of the film business, including film big shot Brett Bates, who also happens to be her ex-husband, filmmaker Stanley Klein and her new lover, Alan Cunningham. Um, as she attends glittering parties, Vinnie seeks an entry into her life. He wants to convince her to star in her very last horror film, feeling she's better than merely being a horror actor. However, most people don't take too kindly to Vinnie hanging around and stalking Jana. Uh, when the horror starlet visits Brett in his hotel room, she discovers him dead and beheaded in the bathroom. It seems there's a killer lurking around Jenna and her friends, killing them off one by one. And all the fingers of suspicion point to Vinnie. He's always around when the murders happen, usually carrying a camcorder so that he can film Jana without her knowing it. Clearly obsessed and living in a fantasy world, things aren't right with Vinny, but is it really him doing the killings, or is another killer on the scene and using him as the fall guy? As the film ramps up to its conclusion, a twist gives us our answer as Vinny prepares to shoot the last horror film. You're home early, are you alright? Yeah, I'm fine, couldn't feel better. I got my ticket and I'm going to the south of France, the Cannes Film Festival, Ma. And I'm going to make my film with Jenna Bates. Vinnie, stop thinking about those crazy ideas. You'll only get yourself upset again. I made baked macaroni. You don't eat right. More protein. You won't have so many crazy ideas. Well, I don't know why the ideas are so crazy, you know, just because I want to make my film with Jenna Bates. She wouldn't think my ideas are crazy, Ma. It's wrong for you to be thinking about Jenna Bates day and night. Why don't you be happy just driving the cab? Because I got talent, Ma. I'm going to be a great director someday. Don't yell at your mother. Nobody. Nobody's going to get in my way. 
Here's some baked macaroni. Oh, thanks, Mom, but I'm not hungry right now. Please, you understand. Sure. You make someone then come back. Look, <laughs> Louis D's gonna take care of the kid, and don't worry, he'll give you money and everything, okay? Why are you doing me this, Vinny? Come on, Ma, why does he have to do anything? I just have to do my thing. Just say a prayer for me while I'm dying. I love you, Mom. <laughs> Goodbye. Alright Chris, this was this was a new one for you. I'd seen it before a while ago, but I needed to refresh myself on it. But what do you think of the last horror film? Yeah, well, it, uh, it stars, of course, are one of our big favourites, Joe Spinell, uh, perhaps best known for uh, starring as the uh, deranged killer in Maniac, which is a you know, one of our favourite sort of character pieces. Mm. I would say uh, we sort of always likened it to Christmas Evil as well, which is uh, we seem to like these films, Tom, you and I. These sort of uh, character pieces that focus on one particular person, this man who, or well, you know, even a, a woman who was kind of losing their mind, and um, yeah. and this is very much of, of the same thing. Now, uh, oh, Tom, people are going to be disappointed in me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> especially Amanda, one of our uh, faithful listeners, because I know she's a big fan of this. Um, I have to say that, the, you know, the first time seeing it, I was sort of looking for that hook that was going to that was going to get me into this and it never really happened uh i have to be honest with you i i walked away from this being a bit disappointed mm. now you know I, I i think i'm trying to find a way to sort of pick pick this apart really the i think joe spinell is is very good in it although i i think his performance in in maniac is is better mm. i think there are a couple of moments here where you're like well i can sort of understand why he was never considered a, a leading actor um, in a lot of other productions, he sort of had this and 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 maniac and and not really that much else, um, because I think that he there are times when he's quite ropey, but he he, he plays a scuzzy character really well, I think, yeah. Joe Spinell, and in that way you can compare that to his character in Maniac, in that they're similar characters, except that you know obviously we're going to spoil you know bits in this movie that's what we do the movies are very old in that his character in maniac is is truly truly deranged and is a killer whereas here there's a bit of a mystery we know that there's something very clearly wrong with Vinny, isn't there and that that you understand that throughout the movie but is he a killer is he not a killer well the, the mystery of the film you know we'll, we'll get into that but you know just to sort of finish off the general overview of it i have to say that i came away from it a bit disappointed i didn't you know, I was sort of looking at me watch a bit, you know, an hour into it and thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this one is quite working for, working for me. And perhaps it's because I, I had the expectations going in, having seen Maniac and loving Joe Spinell in that and being a fan of him that I, you know, I sort of I, I found myself quite disappointed. Um, it never really truly got going for me, but with some individually good moments and some good performances here and there some ropey ones though i will say i think there's some shaky performances in this i don't think the dubbed over voices help particularly no. um it looks like most of the dialogue in the movie was dubbed over i don't know why that is maybe they didn't record the audio properly or it came out badly so they so they dubbed it over later i don't think that helps the performances but generally yeah not uh not too 100% sold on this one and I know I'm disappointing a lot of people by saying that Tom it does seem to be a, a film that has its fans I mean people when something's coming up people will um, say stuff to us on social media or the, through emails and stuff oh yeah I'm looking forward to you doing this one I really like it and this seems to have got quite a bit of positive buzz from people uh, doesn't it um, yeah Amanda in particular was really like oh I'm so glad you guys are doing this one she said it was going to be like a 
a great Christmas present for her. So I imagine she's probably listening to this now and thinking... It's a lump of coal. Um, that motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, Amanda. Um, I had seen it, and I remember watching it when I first bought it years ago. I think it was the trauma release, and just really not liking it at all. Um, mm-hmm. This time round... Uh, I was charmed by a few bits and pieces here and there, but I, unfortunately, I really I can't go so far as to say I thought it was. I mean, let let's not mince our words. The, there's ropey acting all around here. It's mm. terribly unfocused. The, the the dream sequences are just unintentionally comical. I think sometimes. Mm. Um, I I do think it's a bit of a mess, but but that's fine within the kind of films we're talking about here as long as they've got that sort of vibe that we like about them and unfortunately it just wasn't there for me you know there's bits and pieces here and there where I enjoyed it and you know Joe Spinell was good but he, he wasn't anywhere near his maniac best you know it was very unfocused and it's like okay I'll give away the ending here for anyone who doesn't know but we'll talk about that more later on but Okay, the twist is that actually he's not the killer, but he's still nuts enough that he broke into her room, broke a bottle, and started threatening her with it. You know what I mean? What what, what yeah. are we supposed to think I mean, here? Um, I mean, he's not the killer, but he's you know he's he's on the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it just so happens that it, you know it, it kind of stops at the end here. But I would imagine if he carried on, you know, eventually he would have gone that way. But overall. I said to you before we started recording, I'm going to struggle a bit with this one because it just seems to have washed over me. Nothing really that memorable sticks with me. The only thing that really sticks with me is Joe Spinell's mum, the old, the old woman. She's like, oh, you know, jabbering yeah, away. He's played, played by his real mother. Yeah. Um, uh, which is in, which, uh, not an actor. Really? <laughs> you could say. <laughs> you no. say. Uh, but there, but you know, there's. A... <laughs> There's a sort of, you know, there's a reality to it. There's a realness to it yeah. that I, I sort of enjoy. But, I mean, even then, some of his scenes with his mother where he's, like, crying, I'm like, oh, this is, I don't know, this is a bit ropey for me, you know, and I'm I'm used to, you know, Joe, you know, Joe Spinell's overacting a little bit, you know, but this is, there are, t- and I, I wonder if it's just, you know, the filmmaker himself, David Winters, if he just, he didn't quite, know how to pull this all together and have it fo- focus and I think also considering it's a horror movie I never felt any any real tension in there you know there's nothing that rivals the subway scene in Maniac for example where there's genuine tension for this woman yeah. you know you know that, that, that uh, Frank Zito is there somewhere and he's going to get her and you're wondering when's that going to happen and there's real I think Bill Lustig is, is a you know I think it's it's a very good sign that that you know Bill Lustig did go on to, to do other work in, in this sort of genre whereas uh, David Winters did not, as far as I'm, I can tell, this was his only horror movie. And I'm not quite sure he. I think what he tried to do is sort of incorporate a lot of the nastier elements of horror, but didn't really know how to how to thread it all together properly. What what you're watching the film for, really, I think, is is Joe Spinell, and you know, it pains me to have to say it, really, but he he's not always firing on all cylinders. Now, where when he is, he plays you know this this character of Vinnie Durand in a very creepy way. You know, uh, for example, I'm thinking of the scene where he sort of He's got the the big poster of Jana Bates there, played by Carolyn Monroe, yeah. uh, and he's sort of you know, and he's sort of touching the poster, and he then he's touching himself. Very creepy scene, and and like we say, plays a very scuzzy, scummy character quite well. I mean, he's sweaty through the whole thing and grimy, and it's a very Joe Spinell esque role, and it, that that's where the comparison to Maniac will come in. But in in every other way, 
or in, in several other ways, uh, not every other way, but several other ways, I think this is a, a big step down from that. Yeah, I, I think we're always going to like a bit of Spinell, but the material that he's given to work with just isn't of the calibre of Maniac. <laughs> it's funny saying that about such a, a scuzzy film as Maniac, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it, we we love it, and I think you could say whatever you like about that film, but no one's ever going to convince me that Joe Spinell isn't great in it. He's focused. We know who Frank Zito is 100% um, just from what he brings to it. And, you know, there's a couple of quibbles here and there in Maniac as well. But Frank is solid. You know, the, the yeah. how he's written, how he's performed. This was just so unfocused, you know. We've got this this guy... There's things I enjoy about him, like when he's on the phone to his mum from Cannes and he's like, yeah, you know, everyone wants to talk <laughs> to me and I've got meetings with people and, and stuff like that. Um, but he just very unfocused. So Joe Spinell wasn't doing his best, I don't think, with, with what he had. So it, I just couldn't really latch on to this character the same way uh, as I enjoyed watching Frank Zito in Maniac. It just... It just wasn't there for me. I feel like, I mean, it seems like from from what I can gather, Joe Spinell had some personal involvement in this movie. And I get the feeling that might have been a bad thing because I think that perhaps he was reined in a little more and Bill Lustig was, was a better director and was able to sort of, to focus him more. Like we keep using that word unfocused, but it, but it is true. Yeah. Um, we have to say though that you know Vintage Rand he's a dreamer isn't he and he's a deranged dreamer I mean they pretty much they tell you in a song in the movie you know you're a dreamer and it's like well he's a dreamer and he believes himself to be because the plot of this essentially I mean we've, we've covered it there but we always go through it is that this is a guy who's a who's a, a taxi driver in New York and he's obsessed with this woman Jana Bates played by uh, Carolyn Monroe and firmly believes that he is going to make a movie someday and she will be the lead star in it seems to be quite sort of um doesn't seem to be a fan of horror movies really in fact there's one point where he sees a film by this uh, filmmaker Stanley Klein which is it's quite a strange movie quite a strange little scene in a movie within a movie where this uh this old homeless woman I think just stabs this guy to death and then cuts open his cuts open his chest rips out his heart and eats <laughs> and um and he's and he's disgusted by you know he he, he stumbles outside coughing and he's sick and then happens to <laughs> run into the director coming down the stairs and sort of tells him off at making such a horrible movie, but is re- in his convinced in his own mind that he is you know this great wonderful uh, acclaimed celebrated movie director and tells his mother that and what's interesting that his mother knows that he's talking nonsense. Yeah, she does. You she know. does. So she she must be used to it, you know. I'd like to imagine that throughout his life, he's just always made things up, and she knows what he's like. I think there's there's probably the seeds of something quite decent here. If it was just shaped a bit more, there seems to be something running through it as well. Uh, maybe a bit of kind of meta uh, a meta aspect of it. Looking at horror films, you know. And the effect on people. I mean, there's one point where it, there's sort of like a priest or something talking to to someone saying, "I want to get your opinion on horror movies. You know what the what kind of yeah. effect they have on people." And we're always seeing horror films within it. Uh, horror films that seem to always end with a grisly death scene and then the end. And uh, there seems to be that level of it, but it, it's it's not really well developed enough to be 
something you sit and ponder you know what i mean it's there but you're not sitting thinking hmm yes actually you know what are we watching here it's just so unfocused and and so undeveloped that it it doesn't really bring much to it either yeah i quite like the meta aspect of it you know here and there but i mean you're absolutely right there's a scene in the movie where yana bates has a um a press conference (laughs) and you know a a press conference about horror movie at the Cannes film festival Mm. Uh, which I mean, this is the greatest fantasy version of a Cannes f- film festival you can imagine, where uh, a character played by Carolyn Monroe uh, wins an award ahead of Meryl Streep <laughs> and um, and Jane Fonda. You know, um, it's a it's a fantastical version of Cannes film festival. And you know, I happen to think films films like you know horror films should play at the Cannes film festival. You know, I'm not in with the arty farty crowd at all. But she has this press conference where there are all these news reporters there, and all they do is ask her about the effects of horror movies and like they're pretty much it's almost as if they're saying to the people who are watching the movie they're saying look everybody says horror movies are bad and then of course she sits there and she says well no actually they're not bad because of this 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 and this so it definitely feels like you know the filmmakers are saying you know horror movies aren't bad guys Mm. you know come on get it together uh but it it is um it's notable for the fact that it's i don't think there's been another horror movie that's been set around the Cannes film festival so you know not that i know of there's a funny bit as well where the, there's a panel there watching her film and i can't remember does she get her face burned off with a blowtorch or something <laughs> yeah she does and there are all these judges at the Cannes film festival some of the most stiff upper lift people you can imagine by the way who attend the Cannes film festival the judges and they're like masterpiece Ooh, masterpiece <laughs> she's just like ah, screaming into the camera because with a burned face and it's just like okay where are you getting <laughs> where are you getting this from yeah, we're going to talk about some of the killings in this because the mystery has been set up that there there's somebody who's going around murdering people and they happen to have a camcorder, but you never see their face. So immediately we know, okay, obviously this is a mystery. I pretty much had figured out by that point that Vinny wasn't going to be the killer, mm. that they'd obviously set him up as this gigantic red herring. And in fact, it was going to be somebody else. Um, did, now, did you buy into the mystery of the film? Um, this time, I can't remember the first time I watched it. This time round, because of the way they'd done it, I, I kind of thought, he's not the killer. Because they're being a bit too cloak and dagger about it, you know? Mm-hmm. If he was the killer, I think they'd have shown it a bit more. So I kind of, I didn't know who it was. Because the guy who it actually was, was the guy who got his head chopped off. Um, yeah. And you can't, it, was that just a ropey 80s effect? Or was that a fake death? You know, you couldn't really tell. So, um yeah, I didn't. I didn't buy that he was going to be the killer. Yeah, well, as it turns out, it's Brett Bates who was the ex-husband of Jana Bates, and uh, as you say, he was. You know, she'd found him in the bathroom, dead with his throat slit, and then of course his his head fell off, <laughs> and, um, and there was somebody else in the bath filming it. And as it turns out, it was he'd faked his death, quite convincingly, I have to say. Apparently, he was always a practical joker, and he'd been. You know, he was so angry that she'd left him that he decided to kill off everybody around her, basically. Mm. And um, I just like Carolyn Monroe in this. Um, I didn't like, I didn't, and I like Carolyn Monroe very much. She's a, she, you know, brilliant scream queen. I think what doesn't help is that they've got. Now I don't, I, I know for sure that Joe Spinell is the one who's overdubbing his own voice. Right. That's clearly him. I don't know about the other actors in the movie. I don't know who overdubbed what. I don't know if that was Carolyn Monroe who came in and then did the dubbing on her own 
because we, we don't I've not been able to establish a reason for why most of the dialogue is overdubbed I don't know either because her, her accent is a bit better than it is in Horror High where she tries to play American as well but I can't tell whether it's her or not either yeah because Karen Monroe is, is English of course yeah. and I think it detracts from her really I don't think she's particularly great in this uh, really um, which is strange because some of our feedback, you know, says you know, to the contrary that she's a good sort of final girl, and I, I don't know really. I, but I, don't get me wrong, I'm not taking away from her as as an actress. I'm, I'm taking away from, I'm taking away from the the, the voice performance. Yeah. Whoever did that, it just it doesn't seem like a natural fit to me. I think when you overdub things, very naturally you're going to lose some of what might have made the original performance work very well. It's one of the reasons why I don't tend to like dubbing on things very much. Uh, and of course, a lot of the Italian movies I love happen to have it, and you always wonder, well, would that performance actually have been better if we'd heard it in its original language with subtitles? So I think that that some of that is taken away from that, and also the fact that you know Joe Spinell's doing all of this stuff and and overacting and everything, and doing these scenes where he's just losing his mind, and has had to then do all of that again in the studio afterwards. Do you lose some of the intensity of that, mm. you know, by doing that? And I kind of think maybe maybe they did with this one. Uh, I just never felt any tension, really, Tom. I, I throughout the whole thing, and I just sort of I kept waiting for a couple of really killer scenes to come in. Some nice gore effects, you know, the the axe death where um, one of the guys gets sort of chopped to death with an axe by the killer. Um, I thought was done quite well. You know, you don't really see anything, but you just sort of see the guy swinging the axe down into the ground and blood spewing out. Done, done, you know, reasonably well. But what you know, it's trying to say something, but. It, I, whoever put the film together and, and you know the writers of this, uh, two of whom are actually in the movie, David Winters and Judd Hamilton. Judd Hamilton plays the love interest here of uh, Jana Bates and uh, David Winters is Stanley Klein, the filmmaker that uh, that uh, Vinnie runs into on the stairs and has a big go at him. And I, and I, I just don't think that they've... You know that they've put it together very well. There's ambition there, and there's some decent ideas. And I certainly liked parts of the movie. Don't get me wrong, but um, and was captivated by some of what Joe Spinell was doing. But overall, I sort of walked away thinking, eh, you know, it's um disappointing. Tom, I think what what might have made it better for me is we've talked about how we like things like Maniac, things like Christmas Eve, or where you're spending this time with someone who who's unraveling um doing horrible things and so on we didn't really get that here because he was sort of a bit too in the middle you know he wasn't yeah. going so far as to actually kill people but like i said earlier he thinks nothing of breaking into a room smashing a bottle and threatening her with it but then in the end we're supposed to be like Vinny, go Vinny!" when he actually sort of saves the day kind of thing so we're not really spending our time with a maniac and seeing what makes him tick it could have been about this mama's boy who's like you said lied all his life and as he's gotten older his lies have got bigger his delusions have got bigger and i probably would have preferred that if he was the killer you know and just yeah. went with that a bit more rather than this silly red herring plot if he'd have just went there and, and kill, started to kill everyone around uh, or everyone he thought had wronged her because he's got this um, unhealthy fascination with her, that sort of thing. If he'd have maybe kept her a bit more focused that way so it's like, okay, what makes this guy tick? Why is he doing what he's doing? Let Joe Spinell really get into that rather than being a bit wishy-washy because 
yeah, he's nuts, but he's not that nuts. And in the end, we're supposed to think he's got some sort of redemption. It just doesn't work. I agree with you. I think maybe it would have worked better if he had been the killer. And we sort of, I think, because I think there's a little bit of disbelief there in how, you know, the mystery of the killer, how that turns out. I think if you'd, if you'd gotten rid of that, but I mean, perhaps it would have been too much like Maniac. I don't know. But I think if he had been the killer and just watching him becoming more and more unhinged and unable to kind of stop himself in his obsession to get to this woman... I think might have might have made it a bit better, really. But instead, yeah, we sort of, I mean, we sort of, we spend a lot of time with these other. We spend a lot of time with Jana and the other people, and um, and I think the focus of it really should be Joe Spinell guided a little bit better, yeah. um, focus a little bit more by somebody who kind of knows what they're doing. And I think you'd have had a, a stronger film out of it. As it is, you know, I mean, if you're a fan of Joe Spinell from from Maniac, I think it's worth seeing. Mm. You know, I don't dislike that I that, that I saw. I mean, this is the first time, as as I say, I've seen it. I bought the Blu-ray edition from from eighty eight films, and it you know sort of looked fairly decent. Apart from, there's a couple of uh, places there where they include some some footage that was previously cut out, and the the quality of that wasn't great. Uh, but um, but you know, overall, I just kind of walked away thinking, yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad I saw it because it's one I wanted to see for a while. But it it um, disappointed me, and I know they're going to be so. I know for a fact because there are some people I've spoken to on Twitter who happen to really like this, and it's one of their favourites. And I know they're going to be listening, listen to me, and thinking, "Wow, I can't believe you didn't, you didn't, you know, you don't feel the same way I do." But it just didn't, it just didn't particularly grab me. I was waiting, you know, I was waiting. I was like, "This is Joe Spinell. I know I'm going to enjoy this." And it just, I think there are a lot of problems around him and i think that because of that uh, it's not quite um it, it's not what i was hoping for i'll say that much yeah i agree you know i wouldn't go so far as to say i, I disliked it I, I was sort of mildly entertained by it for what it was but just too unfocused for me to really latch onto and and have a a truly good time with but not not you know not a waste of time just I mean, you mentioned before it might have been a bit similar to too similar to Maniac if they went with him as the killer, and I think I would have been okay with that. I mean, we'll talk about Mr. Robbie in a moment, the, the proposed sequel to Maniac, but if that had ever got made, it would have been a nice little, you know, trilogy of like a, a sort of serial killer anthology for Spinell. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it would have been quite a good thing, but uh, it wasn't to be. But um, yeah, not sold on the last horror film unfortunately but you know I, d- I didn't hate it no and it's not you know I, was like, I don't dislike it I was just very meh mm. on it really you know? that's what I walked away just thinking and this is one of those films I can already tell and not you know not just simply based on how many sort of positive um, you know positive things we've heard from other people but just in general I can see this is the sort of film that it will appeal to some people and it won't appeal to others yeah. and um, and it's just one of those ones that even though it, it would have seemed like the kind of film that you and I would be all about it just didn't you know, it didn't quite connect for me in in the way it has with other people. But uh, you know, watch it for Joe Spinell certainly, because I think if you're a fan of Infomania, there are bits and pieces in there where you're like, "That's the Joe Spinell that I that I adore." Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I've got nothing more to say on it, but hopefully, you've got some of that trivia that I do love to listen to. Well, Tom, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> I always do, of course, and I prepare it especially for you. Thank you. Uh, now, according to the to IMDb, now this is interesting. The film was shot around the 1981 Cannes Film Festival entirely without permission or permits. Uh, all of the footage you see shot around the festival was done so guerrilla style. Well, you know, I've always got admiration for people who do stuff like that, and but it might have contributed to the unfocusedness of it. You know, if they're just like doing it on the fly, and okay, what have we got? What have we got to use? 
how we're going to stitch this together maybe that's an aspect of it I agree but also it can be a mistake sometimes in a movie to film the posters of movies that are better than this <laughs> like Cannibal Holocaust and Possession and films like that you know yeah. Uh, but like we say, a very fantastical version of the Cannes Film Festival where Caroline Munro, God bless her, uh, wins an award over Meryl <laughs> Streep. Um, but I do love Caroline Munro. Anyway, lead stars uh, Joe Spinell and Caroline Munro had worked together before on 1980's Maniac and 1978's Star Crash, which I heard from our, uh, our good friend there, Amanda, is uh, a very good sort of Star Wars ripoff, mm. which I'm interested to uh, to watch at some point uh, directed by Luigi Cozzi uh, in fact uh, Monroe did these three films all in a row she had come to prominence starring in Hammer Horror Films and worked primarily as a B-movie actress through the 80s and 90s she continues to act today and is considered a classic scream queen Spinell was a noted character actor having appeared in classic films like The Godfather The Godfather Part 2 and Taxi Driver he is perhaps best known for his role in Bill Lustig's Maniac of course as we've discussed where he plays the demented Frank Zito the uh, leading role granted him much acclaim, cementing the film as a cult classic, and it's a big fan of, of ours, Tom. Mm -hmm. uh, Spinell continued to have supporting roles through much of his career and appeared in another Bill Lustig, uh, Lustig film, Vigilante, in 1983, which is also quite a good um, sort of gritty exploitation film. Yeah, yeah, I love a bit of Vigilante. Um, I've got mm -hmm. that on Blu-ray from Blue Underground, but, uh, you know, if we ever carry on after the Section 3 list, I think we need to do a bit of a Vigilante uh, months maybe you know mm. vigilante death wish that sort of thing could be good Ooh, tom you're getting me going <laughs> uh Spinell also filmed a short film follow-up to maniac tom mentioned this a little while ago entitled maniac to mr robbie in 1986 the short directed by buddy gio vanazzo uh, was made to attack to attract finances for a possible feature-length sequel but Spinell sadly passed away from a heart attack in 1989 before this could happen so while we're, while we're on the the subject of that maniac to mr robbie tom mm. i would imagine you, you you've seen that i mean you pretty much mentioned that you did yeah. um, it was actually on this um release of uh of the last horror film from 88 films um uh, i'm quite a big fan of this short uh i think it's it's a good little thing uh, underdeveloped in, in its own way but um i would have loved to have seen a maniac too yeah yeah and a nice way of doing it as well you know a different focus it was a, a a child entertainer who gets letters from the kids who have been you know abused by their parents that sort of thing and he goes and kills the parents and i thought that was a nice little um a nice little concept it it's it's a real shame it never happened very interesting a big shame that didn't happen uh we mentioned it before joe spinell's own mother philomena spagnuolo <laughs> build here there's <laughs> build here is mary spinell plays his mother in the movie we didn't actually mention the ending uh scene which is pure comedy pure comedy it is basically essentially you know at the end of the movie uh you know vinnie durand has taken a chainsaw to the uh, brett bates the killer and cut his head off and everything and then he's just screaming i thought was that was played quite well by joe spinell and then we, we you know we cut to this scene of of him sitting now are we supposed to what are we supposed to, supposed to get from that? Are we supposed to infer that this is sort of a dream sequence of some kind or a fantasy sequence? Or do you reckon that Vinny actually made it out of the film alive? Could it be? I would imagine you'd been taken down for you know on charges of stalking. The way, the way I saw it was it was going to either be one of two things. This has happened and he's then made a film of it and that's what he sat down and shown his mother. Or the whole thing was just a film and he's made a film 
and he's shown his mother. So he might be, you know, just a, a, a normal, well-adjusted guy who's made a film. I don't know. It's one of those two things, but I could be wrong. See, I quite like. See, I quite like the sound of that. that um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a, and and so we get this this scene at the end where he's sort of you know blabbing away to his mother. You got any of that macaroni? <laughs> <laughs> and then the final the final line of the film comes from his mother, who just says, "You got a joint." <laughs> <laughs> he hands her a joint, and then the movie's like, da 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 da, da. <laughs> and it finishes. It's, it's. I don't know if it tonally quite fits with the rest of the movie, but it did give me a good chuckle. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about that man. It's just very strange, but you know, it did make me laugh as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, co-writer and producer Judd Hamilton plays Alan Cunningham. Uh, lover of Monroe's character, Jana. Hamilton was actually married to Monroe at the time. Uh, this was Cunningham's final film as an actor, having previously starred in uh, Star Crash along with Spinell and Monroe. He appears to have no creative involvement in filmmaking since it was released. Uh, director David Winters had a particular interest in dancing, stemming from his appearances in all sorts of Broadway productions, including the original run of West Side Story. He went on to play Arab in the movie version of the film and made a career out, out of uh, teaching Hollywood actors how to dance for performances in movies. He'd also directed TV movies and documentaries beginning in the 60s. Uh, the last horror film was the only true horror project he directed, and he plays the role of Stanley Klein in the film. Uh, his wife at the time, Jaylen Winters, plays the naked beauty in the jacuzzi at the beginning. The film can be found easily on DVD and Blu-ray in the UK from 88 Films. This version is billed as the uncut special edition and contains previously excised gore footage, though this is of a lower quality than the rest of the footage. Uh, in America, the film can be found on DVD and Blu-ray from Troma Entertainment, where they proudly display <laughs> music from Depeche Mode on the front cover, almost as big as the title of the film itself. Yeah. Uh, as a selling point because there is a song from Depeche Mode in it uh, at the beginning yeah. I believe so there you go the last horror film uh, I'm sure we've disappointed lots of people Tom and we'll be getting uh, plenty of negative iTunes reviews coming in you know I uh, I like to think that our real true audience the, the ones who get us will you know it's just the way it goes and they understand that and uh, and we understand that it's just the way it goes sometimes. Everyone's different, aren't they? But, um, you know, I, I didn't hate it. So hopefully they'll kind of see where where they're coming from. The same way I see where, you know, if someone does manage to get into it, I can see where they're coming from. It's a, it's a trashy little thing that I could imagine some people might really love. Yeah, you never know. I may go back and watch it and, and change my mind someday. Mm. And if I do, you guys will be the first to hear about it. But saying all this, I'll probably get a bullet in the neck from a sniper rifle through the window <laughs> and it'll be Amanda across the street uh, on a building, standing on the roof of a building across the street, taking me out for not being a big fan of it. There we go. So, Tom, that's the last horror film. Now it's time for us to move on to the second film in our double bill. And uh, it is a little film called The Love Butcher. I almost couldn't get that out. The Love Butcher. Uh, Girls Aloud had a song called Love Machine. This is the sequel. Mm. The Love Butcher. Also known <laughs> as Nothing nothing at all. Uh, so I don't know why I read that out. Uh, released in 1975. Directed by Don Jones and Mikkel Angel. Uh, written by Mikkel Angel and Jim Evergreen. Now let me read you the synopsis of this one. A young girl lies dead on the ground, a pitchfork jutting out of her stomach. It's the second murder in a month and the police know they're dealing with a serial killer but they have no clues nor any real leads. 
Local reporter Russell is annoyed that the police have turned up with nothing, but he's equally as clueless as they are. Well, sometimes evil hides in plain sight. Just look at Tom Elliott. <laughs> and that's true of crippled gardener Caleb, played by Eric Stern. Uh, short-sighted and a few words, Caleb cuts a sad figure to most. He's frequently bad-mouthed by the people he works for, particularly rich women whose uh, gardens he tends to. What they don't know is that Caleb hides a secret and it begins at home. Inside his house, Caleb speaks with his brother Lester, who teases him, calls him ugly, degrades him. Lester, on the other hand, believes himself to be beautiful and attractive, the very opposite of Caleb. In reality, Lester no longer exists. He's merely a black mannequin. Um, actually, he looks a bit like a bowling ball with a wig on top. Mm. Uh, but he becomes Caleb's alter ego, allowing this man to dress up, look good, and visit the women in disguise. Yes, it's Caleb in the guise of Lester that is murdering women. He believes himself an Adonis, though claims to abhor sex, even though he molests the women he kills. From playing a handsome Texan man to a saucy Latino, Lester provides the confidence and sweet talk that Caleb never could, and he uses it to claim his victims. When the deed is done, Caleb returns to normal, just the unassuming gardener. The only woman who treats him kindly is Flo, who happens to be a reporter Russell's fiancée. Uh, she offers him lunch and treats him with kindness, something he appreciates greatly. Well, unfortunately, his alter ego Lester most definitely does not, and soon Lester declares Flo a target. As Lester departs for Flo's house with the pretense of being Caleb's psychiatrist as a way in, Russell manages to put all of the clues together. He realises that Caleb has been around all of the women who've been murdered, many of them uh, with garden implements. Only he has the unassuming nature that has helped him avoid suspicion until now. Russell, now fearing for Flo's life, races out to the house, but it seems Caleb, as Lester, is already there, and there's about to be a slaughter as Lester reaches his endgame. <laughs> What happened? You missed, Les. You missed. The great lover, for the first time, you missed. <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up. You're losing your touch. You're finished, Les. Caleb, you're a bleeding heart son of a bitch. I may never let you out again. You can't go on doing those terrible things, Les. You're evil. You're gonna destroy us both. Why didn't you die when you're a boy? Why didn't you die when you're supposed to? Beauty is not evil. I am the great magnet to all women. Your jealousy knows no ends, Caleb. If I didn't need you, I'd let you destroy yourself. I can't stop you, but someone will. <gasps> can do that. And since I am the stronger, well, <laughs> you'll just have to live with me, Caleb, until you die. Shut up, damn you. So, Tom, this is an obscure little number, uh, one that you and I have just seen for the very first time. Uh, what did you think of The Love Butcher? We've not talked about this amongst ourselves, so I, I really don't know your views on it, but I get the feeling we're going to disagree on this one. I don't know why. It's just a feeling within the pit of my soul. But um, I I liked it. I wouldn't say I thought it was great. It seems that, again, you know, in better hands, it could have been really great. But there's just something about it that I liked. It's a bit more of the spending time with 
someone who who is clearly deranged and unraveling that I like not done as well as something like Maniac or Christmas Evil but there was a commitment from Eric Stern uh, when he was playing Caleb and Lester that I just really found enjoyable you know it was such a vanity free performance you know he he was willing to make himself look that way and do this performance which at times was very silly I mean that scene where he, he's conducting the or- the orchestra in the mirror <laughs> and stuff like that Th- there's a lot about it which I think could have been done better and overall I, I think it it doesn't really go above a certain level in terms of the violence, the gore, the really being truly gripping. But it just it just had enough where I just I just ended it and I, I thought well, I kind of enjoyed that. You know, it it was at that level, not like wow that was great or anything. It just had a certain something that I I guess we'll talk out that I liked. But um, how about you? Interesting, interesting. Tom, mm. I liked it too. Oh. Yes, yes, I did. I actually thought there for a moment, didn't I? Um, yeah, I, I have to say that I, you know, going into it, you know, watching a VHS print of it and it didn't look great or anything. And I thought, oh dear, I don't know about this, you know, mm. but maybe we'll have another invasion of the blood farmers on our hands. But in actual fact, I think it's sort of quite competently made. It's reasonably well acted. Now, I've got this in the, in the trivia section, but I'm going to mention it here because uh, it's 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 sort of I think it, it maybe it might explain why we both like this this movie was co-directed by Don Jones Don Jones also directed another film that we covered on the Strange and Deadly uh, ah. show uh, way back a film called Schoolgirls in Chains right uh, which I, I remember both of us saying that had some real potential in yeah, it yeah. and was and unfortunately was stuck with a name that was very sort of exploitative and, and nasty I believe it was called I think it was called Abducted. Yeah. It might be, um, which I think was a more fitting title for it. School Goes in Chains makes it sound like it's going to be some sort of softcore erotica porn kind of thing. And it, it isn't at all. Um, it was done quite well and features a similar theme to this about, you know, sort of, uh, you know, in, in that you had these two brothers who, you know, their mother was dead and they were, and there was a bit of a psycho element to that. And there is in this as well. And I think Don Jones, Having seen, you know, two of his movies now, I don't know how mu- exactly how much involvement he had in this, but he did, he was co-director on it. Uh, I think he's a director who had some real potential, and I think if if he'd been able to capitalise on that and maybe had a bit more money to work with, might have actually, you know, worked his way up to 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 making a you know really really good film someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, he's not he hasn't quite been able to accomplish that with the two we've seen, but but I like him. Yeah. And I like this, and and like you say, this film really is about Eric Stern, isn't yeah. it? At the end of the day, and and he is acting his ass off, Tom. <laughs> he is acting his ass off, and he is chewing up scenery left, right, and centre. And some of it is silly, and it does feel a bit like he's doing his comedy routine, coming in with different characters, you know, <laughs> every single time. But I think they did a remarkable job. There was a couple of times here where I had to think, is that really the same guy? Because as Caleb, he is this. You know, you've got to look up a, a photo of him to see what he looks like. He's got these glasses on. It makes his eyes look huge underneath them and, and um, you know, and, and balding and, and scruffy. And, he, you know, he walks around. But all he ever really says is, yes, ma'am. Yeah. You know, yes, ma'am. Well, thank you, dearly. You know, that kind of thing. And um, But then he transforms into this character named Lester, who is 
pretty much a ladies' man, really. Yeah. And uh, it, it is an astonishing. I think it's an astonishingly good performance considering what they're working with it. Now, that that's say it, it it is silly, like we're saying, he's chewing up the scenery and he's not always, you know, he's not always focused. But but when he is, I I thought he was a really quite a, a standout in this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is if that central performance had not been as good, I think the the film would have just fallen completely flat. I imagine because it, it tends to be the thing. The things that are around him that are the weaker elements, like uh, this this reporter who is looking into the murders that are happening around this town, around this neighbourhood, whatever, and you know him and these overly long melodramatic domestics that he has with his wife are just like, you know, they go on, they have a big argument, they have sex and makeup, then they have another argument, you know, and it's just like, oh, for God's sake, what do you add to this film? Not that much. You have the police detectives who are looking for the killer, and the first scene where we see them, they're at a murder scene, which a reporter is walking all over, you know, no, no, you know, no police cordon or anything. The, the reporter just walks in, so what's going on here? And the and the detective is like, we're never going to catch this guy, you know? And it's like, fucking hell, that would never happen now, you know what I mean? No, not at all, the, no. What, did, what was the police comment on this? We're never going to catch this man. <laughs> so, you know, um, and, you know, the cops were just a bit shit as well. So it's... Useless. Yeah, yeah, so it's their stories that were the weak elements. But when we get back to Caleb and Lester, again, I... I think there have been better, you know, dual personality stories in terms of the way some of it was presented. You know, when we see the Lester, well, sorry, when we see Caleb and Lester together, where Eric Stern is Caleb, Lester is this dummy with a wig on and it's voiceover. I am better than you. I'm, you know, handsome and you are ugly. And I thought that was a bit, hmm, but... But still, you know, it, it was enjoyable for for what it was within the, the sort of reality that it was it created. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I was really quite impressed with, with that aspect of it. I just think, I wish it was in a slightly better story, really. Because mm. uh, I do think the story, it drags a bit and there's not a tremendous amount of payoff through the whole thing. You know, it's... Um, I'm not expecting super amounts of gore or anything like that, but it, it really was really... Uh, most of the people in here felt quite disposable to me. You know, got this character of Russell, who's kind of supposed to be the, you know, the lead guy next to uh, next to Eric Stern, and really never is is fully developed. He's just a bit of an angry dude, really, who wants to get to the bottom of it. And uh, but there are some surprising things that happen towards the end of the movie with that character and his his fiance, which I didn't expect to be honest. I thought it, this was going to be fairly predictable. Mm. Um, as far as how it ended, you know, it seemed obvious to me that. You know, Caleb was going to come in, or Lester was going to come in, and Russell would come home and find it, find him with Flo, and they would manage to kill him off, and that would be the end of the movie. And actually, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, what actually happens is Lester, or Caleb as Lester, turns up and uh, kills Russell with a pair of garden shears mm. and kills Flo. Yeah. Bashes her to death, and you're thinking, Mike, blimey, you know, these are the two characters who. You sort of didn't expect would be killed. These are going to be the heroes of the piece, aren't they? But actually, no, they're they're not really. And uh, Caleb gets away with it at that precise moment. You're like, wow, I really didn't expect that. Mm. We get a twist uh, at the end. I mean, actually, before we get to the the twist and everything, um, 
how did you feel about the acting in general? I thought the acting was good all around, you know. Like, for, for a film of this type, I mean, even Schoolgirls in Chains has some real ropey moments in it, but had a couple of performances where you're like, ooh, you know, you've, you're sort of onto something here. Yeah, for for the level of film we're talking here, I think it it was decent. It was good, you know, and I, I suppose we we've skipped around a bit. And I, I know oh. that some people listen to this podcast who won't necessarily watch the films because some of them are quite obscure and hard to find. And and I do that too with podcasts. Sometimes, if I enjoy the show, I will listen even if I haven't seen the film that they're talking about. So, I think the general thing that happens in the movie is that. Caleb is the the crippled gardener, you know, hunched over, big glasses, bald, you know, s- s- bit of a simpleton, um, and he is doing gardening for women, for the most part. Sometimes women who are attacked, sometimes women who aren't, and he goes around and he does his gardening things, very unassuming, very devoted to his work, you know, um, and it's against the backdrop of all these murders happening so what will generally happen is Caleb will go and do the the gardening the woman whoever it might be in the house is generally quite unkind to him you know can be quite cruel that sort of thing and when that happens that's when Lester will come out Caleb will go home and then Lester will take over he'll get all dressed up you know and Eric Stern a handsome guy um he would go round and uh, sometimes quite easily seduce the woman in the house, yeah. sleep with them, you know, within 10 minutes they're in bed, uh, and then he would kill them. So it was, uh, you know, that's the general thing, and it's just like from woman to woman to woman to woman to woman. And there's a few variations as it goes along, you know. As time goes on, there's a couple who won't sleep with him, and, you know, he, that angers him a lot. He's, um, you know, it's sort of really sort of gets his uh, his dander up when they won't speak to him uh, sorry sleep with him um, and Ke- you know so there's a bit of a struggle between Caleb and Lester as to who's the dominant personality and you know I, I just ate all this stuff up I thought it was really good but that's the general gist of it and then you've got these detectives who can't find the killer and you've got the reporter who is uh, trying to get the story but also trying to solve it too because he thinks the detectives aren't doing a very good job so that's the basics of the story isn't it yeah and I wish that, that those aspects of the story were more interesting because mm. unfortunately they're not um, but I have to say I mean, the, the film's only an hour and 20 minutes long it's not very long and uh, and I never found myself particularly bored really yeah. I was, but I think that that's you know, mostly due to Eric Stern uh, you're right as Lester, Lester is a very, they're both very defined characters, really. Caleb is the sort of, you know, the lowly gardener. Lester's supposed to be this man who thinks of himself as, you know, like we say, as an Adonis and believes that he can sleep with any woman. Um, after he's done it, of course, then goes crazy and, um, you know, sort of admonishes the the woman for having slept with him in the first place and having these sort of carnal desires. And, uh, and a very interesting uh, thing. Now, I have to say that there, there are moments, you know, when he comes in as the as you know, having this accent and everything, you know, uh, selling, uh, giving away records to this one woman, um, and he comes in with a moustache on, he's got yeah. this Latin accent and everything. I mean, it is comical, yeah. you know. I'm not quite sure that really, you know, 
that worked as well as they wanted. And there's one point actually where he comes in with a British accent. I'm like, no. And she's like, no, 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 no. Oh, hold on, you were here before dressed as the <laughs> the record salesman. So that was quite yeah. good that she wasn't fooled. Yeah, I do like that. And then he drops the British accent after that. But he never actually explains why he was dressed up as a record salesman before, why they had a different accent and everything. She's just like, hmm, okay, well, fix the plumbing. Um, but when he kills that woman, it's quite an interesting death, actually. Something I've never seen in a horror movie, really, which is that he uh, takes a garden hose, attaches it to the tap, turns it on, and then jumps into a swimming pool and force feeds her the hose, and she basically drowns from the inside. Yeah, yeah, it's quite... Uh... Brutal in its way, I suppose. And he, he jumps mm. in and his wig comes off because I think Eric Stern <laughs> actually was bald um, yeah. from stuff I've seen of him. So I guess that must have made it, it all a bit earlier. But he, you know, he was, he was a sort of tall, um, quite muscular, handsome guy. And there's a video of, of him on YouTube in later life, which is quite sad, actually. Um, but, you know, so he, he was bald and um, I guess that's what helped him be able to sort of change his appearance so so easily. Yeah, and I think does so very, very well. Like we say, not always, he's not always a, a, an 8 out of 10, but there are points where he really is. And I just have to say, I was just very, really impressed the most with that particular part of the part of the film really just him and the transformation of him and the fact that that could be the same person you know they really do a very good job of that sort of the transition from Caleb to Lester thinking wow that really does look like a very different person yeah um to the point where I was questioning whether it was and of course it was but they just did did a very good job with that I think I feel like Don Jones as a director has some some cool ideas but just perhaps was never quite competent enough to to realize them fully but i think if he had and you know put it into a more exciting story it would have been very interesting we, we all of this happens and we you know we get the deaths of, of russell and Flo, and then some police or you know almost um you know they find him on the streets and he's acting very very weird and it seems like at this point there's a, a separation happening between caleb and, and lester mm. The personalities and we get this scene at the end there where they're basically fighting with each other and caleb is now like look i'm free of you and he ends up stabbing the mannequin to death um, i don't think the mannequin felt anything tom so i think we're okay uh and but we find out a little twist here at the end of the movie well before before we get to that though what triggers this is that there's actually a woman who is very kind to caleb so she uh you know she brings him into the house she feeds him and that kind of upsets the the status quo of things you know caleb is is quite empowered by this and lester you know is very annoyed by this so he puts his um his best suit on doesn't he and it, it, yeah. it's quite a bizarre scene because he goes to her house and he's like, I'm here to talk about Caleb, the gardener. And she's like, OK. And it's like, something's happened to Caleb. He's, you know, he's gone a bit nuts. What's happened? Nothing. I just gave him something to eat. Oh, dear. You know, <laughs> it's quite a bizarre <laughs> yeah. scene because if, if someone came around to talk about you'd be like, what, you didn't talk about the guy? Fuck off, mate. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that, that's a good scene as well where he, he's sort of walking along the street and he, he's, he's losing control and the cops come and speak to him and stuff like that. All good stuff, yeah. all good stuff. Yeah, all good, you know, good, good scenes, really. And um, I think it needed a few more really killer scenes to... You know, to get to get it up there, but um, yeah, some some good stuff in there. And and um, uh, shall we get to that twist? Let's do it. Well, the twist is that that in fact Caleb had died as a child, uh, had run off and been hit by a car, I believe. And in fact, 
Lester, who was the, you know, the his brother, was essentially scorned by his mother and had said, well, look, you're not Caleb. And Lester's like, oh, you know, I'll be Caleb, you know, I'll be just like him. So essentially Lester had spent his life playing the part of his brother and himself. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's an interesting little twist at the end there. And um, and still at the end had sort of given, had, had pushed all the blame on Lester. Because at the end of it, you know, Caleb, he returns to Caleb and feels that he's killed Lester off and now he's just Caleb. And really w- refuses to sort of take the blame for the things he's done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has decided that, well, no, Lester's the one who did them, which is, you know, quite a good story, isn't it? You know, I'll, I'll blame somebody else who actually doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah, interesting, I thought. Interesting twist to the whole thing. I thought it, I thought it was really good. It's, um, I think it's usual in these things for the, the sort of weaker personality, the Caleb personality, to be the sort of uh, s- subservient one, whereas the the more powerful one, the one who does all the killing, is usually the the delusion. I mean, if you think of, of Norman Bates, you know, Norman is the the sort of you know the the nervous kid in a man's mm. body, and mother is the dominant one. Mother is the delusion, whereas this is a bit of a switch on that. You know, Caleb is actually the delusion, and he's the he's the the more subservient character the more subservient part of the personality so i think it was a, a really nice spin on it yeah i think they did a good job with it you know obviously influenced by psycho to some degree mm. uh much like you know schoolgirls in chains had moments like that with the brothers and then you know sort of being indebted to their mother who had long since died yeah. um so yeah i think this you know this don jones had a, had a few good ideas in his pocket and uh, of course he co-directed it with michelangelo also co-wrote it so obviously we have to you know, give some credit to him as well but uh to say I liked it, Tom. You know, I'm sure there'll be some people who are mad as hell that that we like this more than the last horror film. You know, what can I say? You know, um, I had no real expectations going into this, and yeah. and and uh, came away from it thinking, yeah, that's all right. You know, that's all right. You did a you did a good job. You probably did the best you could. It, you could have could have done better, but. What you've got here, really, it's all about Eric Stern, and I think Eric Stern is a. Uh, I can't pretend to have, that I've seen anything he's done. To be honest, uh, I can't really think of anything. But um, although he's been, you know, sort of a supporting actor and had, you know, bit parts in all sorts of things, so it's possible I've glanced at him once or twice before and not yeah. really even known it. But uh, good actor, I think, in this role, and um, he's what makes it work. I I think I would actually buy this. I don't know whether there's a. Dish- decent release out there or something but if someone done a nice release of it i think i might actually buy it um mm-hmm. unfortunately eric stern has passed away now because i would have really loved to have got his input on it you know a commentary or something where he's talking us through his uh, his role and stuff like that but it's not to be but i think i'd still buy this if someone cleaned it up and done a nice release of it well, I'm going to tell you about that in a moment. Ooh, can't wait. Uh, but shall we move on to the? Oh, <laughs> shall we move on to the uh, trivia? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, the film was. Uh, I've kind of said all this before, really. But the film was co-directed by Don Jones, someone familiar to Strange and Deadly, having directed the 1973 Schoolgirls, uh, 1973 film Schoolgirls in Chains, which we covered on an early episode. And I remember we, you know, we liked it mm. uh, with its flaws. Uh, Jones would go on to direct the cheesy slasher film The Forest. In 1981, his last film was Molly and the Ghost. 
1991. Uh, the other director, Michael Angel, only ever directed this one film, but he did have acting parts in a number of movies until the early 90s and continued to co-write films. Uh, lead actor Eric Stern did go on to plenty of small roles in TV shows and a few movies here and there. In fact, he starred in a trio of Marvel superhero-related TV shows from the 70s, those being The Amazing Spider-Man, The Incredible Hulk and Wonder Woman. Uh, little bit parts in those. Uh, his final role was as a maitre d' in a film called A Girl to Kill For in 1990. Uh, Stern unfortunately passed away in 2012 from cancer. You, uh, you uh, said, Tom, that you saw uh, YouTube footage of him in, later in his life? Yeah. Unfortunately, he'd been battling cancer for about three years at this point. It might be actually be from 2012. I just wanted to go on there and see whether there's anything of him talking about this mm-hmm. or, or something. And unfortunately, he he's sort of sitting there in uh, in front of his camera, and he, he's talking about yeah, I've been battling cancer for three years, and now I, I want to raise some money for for kids who who are battling cancer, and he's trying to get on some show. I think it's something like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or some you know that kind of a show. Um, but it's you know it's just quite obviously he's an older man by this point, but you know just haven't seen him in this where he's sort of strong and handsome and stuff mm-hmm. like that and then to see him as an older man who, who'd been battling cancer for three years it, it's just quite a, a sad thing it is sad cancer's touched my life too many times unfortunately um so i, I can sympathize and i'm sad to see he's gone mm. and i'm especially sad to see that it seems like he never really did anything like this again no um because i could imagine this sort of performance you know, perhaps giving him some some stronger work in the future, really. It's a shame that... But this is a real standout role, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, so the film is available and fairly easy to find in the UK on a DVD release from Jeff Films, G-E-F, although I can't speak to the picture quality on this release. Um, the same release is also available in America as well. Perhaps the best release to get, if you can find it, is from Code Red, who released the film on DVD in 2013. Now, this release features an audio commentary with director Don Jones and a couple of moderators. It now appears to be out of print, though, and it fetches a hefty price, Uh, but that's going to be the one that you want to get if you want to get it in sort of best picture quality. So it is available. I did see the the other release, the the one from Jeff Films, is about £12 on Amazon. So, you know, if you want to pick that up, you can, but like I say, I can't... I don't know if that's just a straight rip of the VHS. I really can't say, but... um, you know, not too difficult to find, and I would say recommended, really. Me too. It's uh, it's sort of grown in my estimation with the talking about it as well. You know, sometimes that happens. Yeah. You watch it and you think, oh, yeah, that's good. And then you really talk it out and you kind of think, well, actually, I think I actually like it more. And I'll probably like it more the next time I see it. So it's it's a grower. I think it's going to be one of those. I remember in the first five minutes thinking, I expected this to be really ropey. And actually, it's... You know, I'm liking this, and the acting sort of, you know, quite decent and everything, and uh, and it carries that that through throughout the thing. Very interesting movie, and um, yeah, definitely one that I would say, you know, twelve pounds I think is is a is good value for this film. Mm, definitely, definitely, and you know, there's still time. Hopefully, someone like Eighty Eight Films might uh, do a better one. Oh, that would be brilliant. Yeah. So that's it, guys. That is the end of our double bill uh, we hope you're not too mad at us for uh, our thoughts on the last horror movie uh, last horror film but just remember we didn't hate it uh, but we definitely uh, very much enjoyed the love butcher and now tom i think it's time for us to read and listen to some feedback diddly do
Okay, so we're going to start with an email from Rob Maloha. Now, this was an email that was uh, supposed to have reached us for the last show. For some reason, it didn't. Uh, it didn't turn up at all. I don't know why. Rob doesn't know why. So we didn't get a chance to include it on the last episode. But this is the one where we were talking about the Mad, uh, mad Foxes and Street Killers. All right, so Rob says, Aloha, Chris and Tom. I do enjoy a film that leaves me gobsmacked, and Mad Foxes certainly did that. At first, I found it hard to enjoy with the bad acting, unlikable lead, comic villains, dubious plot, and terrible dubbing. But as the film went on, I'm afraid to admit that I quite enjoyed it. And don't get me wrong, it was a sleazy, chaotic, badly made, and in the poorest possible taste, but a crazy film I haven't seen since Pieces. That's a very good point. Who couldn't love the bed-hopping characters, gratuitous male and female, full frontal nudity, car porn, camp Nazi, Nazi biker gang, lashings of gore, and my personal favourite, an inept castrating kung fu club? Amazing. Films as bad as this don't come around very often, so I think this is something to be cherished, and I'm going to enjoy inflicting it on uh, a few unsuspecting friends in the future. Uh, Street Killers was a far more disturbing affair. Helmet Burger's <laughs> portrayal of... I forgot his name was Helmet Burger. Yeah, uh, I had a couple of Helmet Burgers uh, over the weekend. It's very tasty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I, don't that me- I don't know what that means, Tom. I'm so, I've heard words, but I don't know their meaning, and I'm confused. Uh, Helmet Burger's portrayal of Nanny Vitali was truly terrifying and left me feeling very uneasy in many scenes, particularly his terrorisation of women. It was one of those films where you really enjoy seeing the villain get his comeuppance, and although I was cheering for Santini to do a bit more damage, the broken look on Vitali's face when he was carted off did the job. Despite the uneasiness to some of the scenes, there was a lot to like about Street Killers. Obviously, Berger's performance was fantastic to create such an air of menace. It was well directed with some great set pieces. I particularly like the build-up to the roadblock cops being shot and the score by Umberto Somali. I think that is Somala. I thought this was a decent Polizio Tecci film, although I could have done without some of the nastiness to women. I can't help lowering the tone at this point. Helmet Berger! What a name. I think there was room in Mad Foxes for a beefy helmet burger or two to cover those swinging members. <laughs> anyway, stay commando and keep those stew got swinging. Cheers, Rob, at Rob's Live. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Uh, I never got a chance to say this, actually, but uh, he told us what stew got's was, didn't he, Tom? He did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's basically Italian for bollocks. <laughs> we, we thought it was a typo at the time. It was just a spell check yeah. mistake or something, but it actually had a meaning. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't know at all, and um, he—I think he'd seen it from the, an episode of The Sopranos. Uh, so okay. there you go. We did—we don't know anything, uh, but thanks very much, uh, Rob. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed those. But I mean, the Mad Foxes is something to be remembered, isn't it? It's a—it's a—it's memorable. It certainly is memorable. Yeah, I'll give it that. <laughs> That's what we could give it. And, uh, yeah, I think we both sort of quite enjoyed Street Killers uh, for what it was. And uh, old Helmut Berger, he's a good, he was very good in that. He was, yes, yes. Do you want cheese on your Helmut Berger? <laughs> I don't know. I, I always had a bit of ketchup <laughs> and some mustard. Anyway. And some and some mayonnaise. Yeah. Uh, now, Tom, you have an email there from uh, Mr. Myron Schmidt. Yes, yes. One half of the Ancient Slumber podcast. That... The worst half, some would say. <laughs> Chris would yeah. say that, the other half. But, he, uh, he would, yeah. Um, he has sent us a little email, and I think this is his first feedback, isn't it? So It is. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to uh, the Strange and Deadly Show, Myron. Thanks for contributing. Hello, Myron. And he says, hello, Mr. Chris and Mr. Tom. You can call me Tom. He says, love the show. You can call me Mr. Chris. 
Since I was launching into feedback this time, I was hoping for a Mad Foxes style movie with clean pressed white karate geese, and what I got instead was one good and well, one not so good. Oh, which way is it going to go? White karate geese? Yeah, your gi, you know, the sooth. I thought it was. I thought I was always pronounced GIs. Oh, you probably know better than me. I used to just. I don't know. I know. You've done martial arts though, haven't you? So I, I assume that was how it was pronounced. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Someone out there, tell us. Oh, we're not very good these days, are we? We're getting all kinds of mm, shit wrong. No, 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 we should give up. <laughs> I really enjoyed the last horror film and really liked Joe and Mama Spinell. Their phone conversations were great and so believable. I love the effects and pacing of the story. This is exactly what I associate with early 80s slasher flicks. And to use your words, mid-tier. It also didn't hurt that this was in the south of France and boobs were in abundance. Boobs beat floppy cocks all day long. And twice on Sundays. Boobs beat wow. floppy cocks. <laughs> I think it... Isn't that what so, isn't that what some men want? Yeah, I've got some films about that as well. We'll uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, we know we all know about you. So. <laughs> uh, Dirty bastard. The love butcher, on the other hand, was a mess. The extreme overacting was at times funny, but also got annoying. Uh, this one seemed to go on forever, and I found myself counting cat hairs on the couch cushion next to where I was sitting. The soundtrack, I'm sure, was lifted from some 70s porn flick. This just did not click with me, and I'm glad I don't have to watch it again. Cheers and keep up the good work, Myron. P.S. Excuse my horrible grammar and even worse spelling. He could not have felt more op- more opposite to us <laughs> <laughs> if he tried. Also, I'm quite I'm quite um, interested in the fact that he says at the end there, excuse my horrible grammar and even worse spelling. He's a writer. <laughs> he writes... He writes for a, a website where they cover heavy metal music, and um, yeah, you probably want to get that s- sorted out, really. <laughs> That's part of the uh, part of the job. Yes, I would have thought. But uh, yeah, completely the opposite to us. But that's fine, you know. That's why we like people writing in. You know, the, mm. sometimes the the opposing opinions are the most interesting. So we're cool with that. Thank you, Myra. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, and I can, you know, I can see why the last horror film appeals to him. You know, it's one of those movies I can see why it appeals to people. It just, you know, for whatever reason, just didn't work with us. We're different people, you know, and um, it just happens that way, really. Just whatever, you know, it has a good hook to it in your mind, and uh, we happen to feel completely differently to uh, Mr. Myron there. But uh, very nice to hear from you, Myron. Mm-hmm. Thank you for writing in, and uh, please continue to do so because uh, it'd be lovely to hear from you. Okay, and. Funnily enough, we've got some feedback from the other half of the Ancient Slumber podcast, Mr. Chris Ward, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a piece of audio feedback, so let's have a listen to that. Why, hello there. Chris Ward here from the Ancient Slumber podcast. Just thought I'd drop you a line, as I haven't done so for so long. You're actually covering a film I've seen before, which is uh, The Last Horror Film, starring the lovely Caroline Monroe, and the uh, doesn't look very lovely, but I'm sure he is Joe Spinell. Uh, the two obviously uh, starred together in Maniac, as we all know. Uh, they reunited for this uh, quite decent little slasher, actually. Um, not many films that are set in the Cannes Film Festival, so uh, I suppose it's unique in that way. I'll be honest and say I haven't seen it for a while. I'm going to try and get it rewatched by the time your show goes out. Um, I do have the 88 films Blu-ray. But yeah, it's from what I remember, it's an enjoyable little film. Um, Joe Spinell's mother's even in it, so uh, that's how committed he was to... Uh, to the part in it but um 
yeah, it's not as uh, full on as in and in your face as uh, Maniac, but um, yeah, it's good for a laugh, isn't it? And any chance to see uh, Caroline Monroe in a bit of peril. As for the other film, the uh, the Love Butcher, Love Butcher, who might be related to Frank Butcher. Pat, pat, really? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I don't know what happened there. I think my uh, my brain flipped over or or something. Um, yeah, haven't seen the Love Butcher, so um, I will get it sorted at some point. Not a lot else to say, really. I just wanted to get a little bit of feedback in before uh, the end of the year. Um, I hope you guys are looking forward to some killer releases coming out next year from uh, the likes of our friends over at Arrow. That deep red set does look fantastic. There's also the Ninja Trilogy is coming out uh, in January on Blu-ray. So I thought that might get you excited, Mr. Clayton. And also uh, 101 Films have been putting out some uh, good Ninja stuff as well. Pray for Death's coming next year, so... uh, yeah, lots of Shokasugi madness, which is wonderful. I shall leave you alone now, because I'm just making this up on the fly, as is my way. Myron and I did record an Ancient Slumber podcast for the end of the year to do our uh, end of the year list, but unfortunately we had a few uh, uh, technical demons, and it's pretty much unlistenable. Um, not through any fault of our own, there really was technical difficulties. It just sounded garbled and jumpy and scratchy and all that other good stuff. So we're going to do it in written form on the blog if you want to find out what we uh, what we uh, thought of some of the releases this year. So um, as Mr. Clayton is known for stroking his own ego, I'm going to do mine and say that um, go over to ancientslumber.wordpress.com and you'll be able to find out some of the releases that Myra and I like this year. Um, but apart from that, I hope everybody has a wonderful holiday and uh, watch lots of films and we shall all gather again in the new year at some point I expect and uh, share our thoughts so uh, have fun guys and I'll speak to you soon okay bye so thank you very much Mr Chris Ward now he only watched uh, the last horror film he says this is a decent slash film not as full on as Maniac I, do, I agree with that yeah. uh, Maniac I think much more intensity there much more tension really uh, in my opinion um, he did say in there that he the Love Butcher might be related to Frank Butcher. And then he did an awful impression of Frank Butcher. Um, he hasn't actually seen The Love Butcher yet, though. Right. So he just wa- basically he just wanted to get his impression of Frank Butcher in there. He's been, from, uh, he's been waiting years just for that chance to, to do his Frank Butcher impersonation. And, uh, he really has. Can I do my impression of Pat Butcher? All right. Roy's my family now, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Talks about some of the releases coming out next year, Tom, including the new Deep Red set from Arrow Video, which I've got pre-ordered. Mm, me too. Uh, you have as well. I can't wait for that. It's been delayed until uh, it was supposed to come out in November. Then they pushed it to December, and uh, now it's coming out in January. So uh, a bit disappointed, but apparently they, uh, I received an email from Arrow where they said that they uh, received the the grading of the film just wasn't just wasn't up to par. So they're. Uh, Taking it back to the old drawing board there and getting it sorted out probably, which I'm I'm happy about because their first release of Deep Red Deep Red is supposed to be, you know, it, it's not very good. The picture quality on there wasn't great, so the fact that they're doing it justice, I'm happy to wait for that. Me too. Plus there was a lot out in November and it was a, a bit of a hefty yeah. month on the old uh, wallet, so I'm okay with it. You know, after Christmas. Yeah, yeah me too. Uh, he also talks about now. This is. Yeah, he's, he's aiming this one at me, Tom. He mentions the Ninja Trilogy coming out, and that it would excite me. Yes, it does. And I'm, I'm a fan of Shokasugi and Ninja films in general, actually. And the, uh, There's a company called 101 Films, who I hadn't really heard of until the Black Friday sales happened. And I happened to, to sort of see that they've got a lot of grindhousey stuff. 
and uh, they've got a couple of uh, Shokasugi ninja films coming out, Pray for Death, and uh, another one that I cannot remember now. Um, but I've got those uh, pre-ordered and ready to come as well. He loves some Shokasugi, does uh, does Chris, and so do I. Are you familiar with any of that sort of stuff? Uh, you might as well be speaking uh, Chinese for all I understand of that. Right, fair, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, uh, he, uh, he also said there that uh, uh, he and Myron recorded their end of year podcast for Agent Slumber, but had a number of technical issues which rendered it unlistenable. A bit like all the rest of the episodes, Chris. <laughs> uh, oh, he won't like that. Oh, but podcast uh, war. Let's start a podcast. Oh, podcast. Yeah, oh, I'm firing my cannons, boy. But no, I'm just uh, saying that because he uh, mentioned my ego there, which is a joke. But you know. <laughs> Okay, mess with me, I'll mess with you, Chris. No, but uh, you can go over and um, they decided to do it in word form instead. Mm. Uh, so you can read his and Myron's best of the year uh, over at ancientslumber.wordpress.com. He said all this in the message, of course, but we're just repeating it. Ancientslumber.wordpress.com. And do have a listen to Ancient Slumber. We can hear these two moaning at each other like a married couple and, uh, you know, talking about films that they love. Yes, yes, it's a good listen. It's a good listen. Okay, it wouldn't be the Strange and Deadly show without our old friend, Gore Blimey. So he sent us a bit of audio feedback, so let's have a listen to that. Hi guys, Gore Blimey here. That's Gore Blimey, not Gore Boy. On Twitter as at DoubleAgent73. I managed to watch the last horror film and made some notes. I won't go into the main story because I know you'll be talking about that in depth anyway, but here are some of the things that caught my interest. The film sets out its stall right at the beginning. We find ourselves watching a film within a film where a pneumatic young woman is electrocuted in a jacuzzi. This scene introduces us to Vinny, and we know immediately that he's a bit creepy, as he's watching the film in a crowded cinema while taking care of a bit of personal business, so to speak. He also likes to completely cover the bedroom wall with photos of Scream Queen Jana Bates. Though, to be honest, it might just be an understandable attempt to cover the hideous patterned wallpaper. We even get to meet his mother a few times, and I have to say, she is one of the guilty pleasure highlights for me. She certainly gives one of the most memorable acting performances I've seen in a long time. This is another film that uses Argento-like colour filters occasionally, and I thought it worked okay. I sort of wish they'd done more with it. I also enjoyed the 80s synth-pop score, with a few amusing choices of song to go with certain scenes. In fact, the film's an interesting little time capsule in itself. There are mentions of news events from the time, and posters for films at the festival that have since become infamous, like Cannibal Holocaust and Possession, that went on to become video nasties in the UK. We get dry ice-infused dream sequences, including one with someone on roller skates, and with the catchy sing-along pop music, it sometimes felt like I was watching a version of Xanadu, albeit a gory version where people's heads fall off. Back to the setting, Cannes is shown as a place where women struggle to keep their tops on, audiences scream at movies about eyeball-eating grannies, and when the French locals speak, they make Allo Allo sound like a reality show. In fact, speaking of Allo Allo, I even saw Colonel Von Strom in the screening room jury scene. No, really. Playing someone with that same German accent again. Look, I know it's the early 80s and all, but for a big film star, Jana has a really bizarre look. There's the Lily Munster white hair streaks for a start, the blue and hot pink eye makeup clashing horribly with the scarlet lipstick, 
and a range of outfits in migraine-inducing colours. This climaxes in the award ceremony, where she appears in a metallic shiny number, presumably to give her a bit of oven-ready turkey glamour. Jana makes for an impressive final girl. Not only can she take a bath and a shower in full makeup and come out the other side without even smudging it, but she can run screaming down a crowded street in just a bath towel and somehow keep it from falling off or flapping open. Her ex-husband, Brett Bates, is there as well and is frequently referred to as Mr Bates, Mr Bates. If I was at all rude or immature, I'm sure I'd find that very funny indeed. There are a few scenes I thought were particularly well done. For example, the scene where Vinny starts caressing a projected image of Jana is genuinely creepy. And I thought the axe killing was really effective, despite not putting everything in full view of the camera. And the chainsaw sequence is a great bit of gruesome fun. If I'm honest, I didn't find the film at all scary, and not even very suspenseful, but it had pretty good gore effects, and I didn't mind the twist towards the end. I liked the idea of Vinny increasingly losing his grip on reality throughout the film, and I thought Joe Spinell did a good job of making the character interesting. Despite the acting performances of one or two minor characters, and the pace slowing down a bit in the last act, I thought it was an entertaining and fun 80s horror movie. I certainly enjoyed this more than I was expecting to. Anyway, have a great Christmas break, guys, and I'll look forward to your next episodes in the new year. All right, that was our old friend, Gore Blimey. Not Gore Boy, just in case any of you get confused. I know it's a very yep. confusing uh, uh-huh. world out there. But um, yes, he mentions that we meet Vinny in a crowded cinema taking care of himself, which is very much how our audience met us back in episode yeah, one. Ab- <laughs> absolutely, when we were... Uh... What were we doing wanking off in the cinema? What were we talking about? <laughs> uh, that's where our love began. Um, no, we actually didn't mention that. Because that, uh, to be honest with you, I, I I thought he was doing that at first. And I thought, no, well, he can't be doing that. But yeah, he was masturbating at the beginning to the the horror film that was on the uh, on the screen there. Yeah. I uh, See, again, it just doesn't really gel well. I don't know. You know, is he a, yeah. is he a fucking sex you know, I don't know. It, it it's just very unfocused. But we've been over that. So anyway, yeah, yeah, we have. Uh, he considered the performance of Joe Spinell's mother a guilty pleasure and a very memorable. There's some very memorable performances in there. I agree. You know, she's not very good, but she's real. Mm. And um, I have to give her credit for that. Once I actually found because I didn't realise that was his real mother until after I'd watched it, and afterwards it was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense, really. And um, they have a, a sort of a very strange but kind of likable chemistry, I think. Yeah, and she joins the, the pantheon of uh, great Italian-American mothers that we've had on the Strange and <laughs> Deadly Show, along with uh, Mimi's mother in, uh, what was that film called? <laughs> <laughs> I don't bloody remember either, Tom. We're terrible on this, I can't remember anything. The, uh, um, the Godfather rip-off. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Duke, Duke Mitchell's uh, film. Yeah. That we can't remember. Just trust us when we say that it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he liked the. Uh, I didn't think about this. The Argento style color filters here and there. He wished they were they were used more. There were some nice colors. Some nice colors in there. In some of the moments where he's just on his own in the hotel room, there is a bit of an Argento feel to those. Um, he mentioned the uh, pop songs used throughout the film. A gory. Now this is it. He, co- he sort of referred to it as a gory version of Xanadu. Have you ever seen Xanadu? I haven't. No. No. You never heard of Xanadu? Oh, I've heard of it. Have you heard of Newton John in it? Yeah, Olivia Neutron Bomb, yeah. and 
And it's also got Michael Beck in it, who played uh, Swan in uh, The Warriors, the, ma- the main character in The Warriors. Okay. And um, it was one of those films where Michael Beck was looking like he might be a big leading man, and then he starred in Xanadu and it ruined his career, <laughs> uh, which is unfortunate because I, I quite like Michael Beck. But yeah, and it's basically, it's a really bad musical, but it had it had some music in it that was written by ELO. And um, I know ELO would get the butt of the joke, mainly because Alan Partridge always talk, talks about them. I saw ELO in concert, you know. Mm. But they, um, and I was, you know, I was saying, come back on ELO and carry on playing, you know, that sort of thing. But actually, ELO, quite a good band. And um, I always remember their song. Have you ever heard that song? Xanadu, dee, 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 Xanadu, now we are here in Xanadu, ding, 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 do, 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 do. You ever heard that? I have not sung with such uh, gusto, though, but... No, I have. Thank you. Oh, thanks, mate. Uh, so he thought uh, Jana Bates had a very strange look for a supposed megastar with strange and monster-like hair and odd makeup. Uh, she did look very weird, didn't she? Like she's supposed to be like pretty much the biggest star on the planet, and yeah. um, I weren't buying it. Uh, thinks that Mr. Bates now. Now this is typical of Gorblime, isn't it? He thinks that Mr. Bates, if you say it quickly, sounds a bit like. Mr. Bates, Mr. Bates, Mr. Bates, Mr. Bates. Are you, are you getting what I'm transmitting, Tom? Uh, I'm kind of getting an inkling of where you're going with that, yeah. All right. That, well, that's where he's going with it, Tom. <laughs> I'm not like that. I'm a clean and uh, respectful individual. Uh, he didn't find the film scary or suspenseful, but he liked the gore effects and the final twist. Um, yeah, you know, some. I agree, though. I didn't find the film suspenseful at all. No, no. And I didn't like the final twist. But everyone's all over the place on this one aren't they you know what I mean yeah yeah like, oh you didn't like the final twist Tom me no no oh I didn't mind it you know I I, I didn't necessarily buy it but it didn't I guess you just sort of disliked it more than me yeah I just thought oh, it, it was pointless you know either have him be the killer or, or not it was just part of this whole limbo thing where he's like well I'll wank in a cinnamon and threat, threaten you with a broken bottle but I won't kill you you know I'm not that bad. So thank you very much, Mr. Gore. Always lovely to hear from you. And uh, we hope we hear from you again in January when we return. Uh, Very kind of you. Now, we've got an email here from Amanda, who has become a big fan of ours. In fact, uh, you know, wrote us a message just sort of thanking us for, you know, putting out the last episode. Uh, Sometimes when you have a bad day, uh, it's nice to hear a couple of idiots just talking about, you know, movies that that probably don't mean that much in the grand scheme of things. But if you can make people laugh and make people smile, it's... uh, it makes it worthwhile, doesn't it? Tom? It does, it does. And, uh, you know, hearing from people like Amanda, but very positive always, it's always good. Yeah, very much. It's very uh, a good sort of driving influence and inspiration mm. for us. But she says, Hi, guys. Finally, I was able to watch both movies before you recorded the podcast. Yay! I'm so glad that The Love Butcher knows where it's at because after I'm done emasculating it with my bottomless body pits and draining it like a sewer in a cesspool... We still know the Love Butcher is a is a, the great male Adonis of the universe. The Love Butcher is beautiful. It is love. It is alive. Now, these are all th- lines from the movie itself. She's not just being overly poetic <laughs> about 
a uh, grindhouse style movie. Uh, in short, I liked it. It reminded me of a less violent Herschel Gordon Lewis movie, lacking all of the technical prowess a film should have, minus a few interesting flourishes at the end, but making up for it with genuine performances and a lot of hearts. Plus, it had a totally groovy look, and it inspired me to buy some records from the door-to-door vinyl salesman next time he comes around. You're into a bit of vinyl, aren't you, Tom? I am so into you, a bit of vinyl. Be... I might pop around and try and sell it a bit of vinyl. <laughs> you sure? This is the way, this is the way in, Tom. Yeah. Uh, as for the, the last horror film we are old friends uh, oh dear i first discovered it on vhs back in the early 90s and thought it's so funny and weird that i started bringing it around to friends houses and we all fell in love with vinnie durand and his pot smoking mother i've got a feeling we're not going to be amanda's friends anymore after this <laughs> tom i think this is it for us uh, i did impressions usually quoting the lines i'm going to Cannes film festival ma and eat your baked macaroni and my friends still liked me they were good people yeah, misjudged though. Uh, uh, at the time, I really didn't get the whole postmodern movement behind films, nor did I even know that term. Now, watching it, I realise how strangely self-aware the film is. And although it's definitely a hit-and-miss kind of flick, the way it sort of joyfully plays with the film within a film motif, while also uneasily mixing it uh, with real-life horror, such as John Hickley's obsession with Jodie Foster and assassination attempt of Ronald Reagan, is fascinating. My only frame of reference for Joe Spinell at this point was Maniac, a film I consider one of the all-time greats of the horror genre, and it was interesting to see him here. At times, Vinny is just as sleazy as Frank Zito, writhing around movie screens or on strip club floors, but he's also childlike in other scenes, and although not a wholly perfect performance, it is completely unabashedly Joe and altogether watchable. Don't get me wrong, there's some super silly stuff in there. One of my favourite moments is when the critics are watching Jana Bates get her face burned off and whispering <laughs> bravissimo while checking off her name on the Best Actress list. I also love the guerrilla approach they took to capturing footage from an actual Cannes festival, and I loved and I love baked macaroni. It's good. It's good knowledge. Good knowledge to have. Uh, thanks for doing one last episode this year. It feels like a Christmas present. It won't do once you've heard it, Amanda. Uh, I'm sending lots of love and light to you and your families. Have a great holiday and a happy new year from Amanda. Oh. Uh, yeah, she's very sweet, Amanda, and, and very, very supportive of us and is always saying good things about us. Uh, has somehow managed to convince some of the people who... Uh, follow her recently i've got all sorts of sort of messages popping up we got one from a writer just the other day people who've been listening to us and sort of enjoying what we do tom mm, yes and some of that's come from her so bizarrely she's managed to convince people that we're all right we we appreciate that amanda and you know we don't we don't agree on this uh, occasion but the thing is when you when you listen to made for tv mayhem and stuff or just listen to it on twitter she really knows her stuff, doesn't she? She mm. has got quite a, a encyclopedic knowledge of of horror movies and movies in general. So, you know, although we don't agree on this one, I think she's such an an informed um, person with what she likes and everything. It's, you know, you you can't you can't complain really. She likes it, and that's great. We don't, and uh, you know, but she she uh, what i'm trying to say is i re- respect her opinion a lot yeah they're super knowledgeable and passionate and uh you know we're just two idiots in england mm. so you know don't pay attention to us well do but you know don't take it too personally and um yeah it was certainly an interesting watch that's for sure and uh hey we got uh, something out of the love butcher so it wasn't all but it wasn't all a bad thing was it really Tom? no it no. really wasn't but uh, have a great holiday amanda and thank you very much for writing in and uh, she's actually said to us before that she will make up more section three films that don't exist just to get us to keep recording after we're done with the list so you know clearly she wants us around we'll still see if that's the case after she hears <laughs> this but if if so you know 
we'll see how it goes. So thanks, Amanda. Uh, we got one final email, haven't we, Tom, from uh, an old buddy. Our old friend, Seth. Good old Seth. And he says, hey, guys, interesting movie ag- movies again this time. Who couldn't enjoy Joe Spinell in the last horror film? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when he's oh, first dear. seen on screen... He's enjoying the official pastime of the Strange and Deadly show. Ah, uh-huh, see, good callback. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it seems like he was born to play a psychotic yet sympathetic character. You can't help but feel for Vinny. You root for him to achieve his dream and hopefully overcome his demons in the process. I still don't know what to think of the ending of this film. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there. I certainly didn't see it coming. I don't know if you guys appreciated the fantasy sequences, but I did. Um, they were strange, weren't they? You know. Mm, yeah, I sort of, I was buying into them initially, but they they're sort of unintentionally comical as well. That's right. And I did. There were a few times I was like, oh, this is a little bit cheesy, but I understood what they were going for. Yeah, yeah. While they're a bit corny, they do give insight into his psyche that mere dialogue could not do. I had heard of this one but never bothered to watch it until now and I'm glad that I did for anyone out there who thought that the last horror film A Maniac were the only two movies that Joe and Caroline Munro both star in then you haven't seen Star Crash from 1978 additionally I'd like to recommend the movie Cruising from 1980 that Joe features in I know that you guys love gritty New York movies I do too and Cruising is my favourite gritty New York movie I think that's Mm. an Al Pacino movie isn't it it is, yeah. One I've always heard. I actually hear uh, Mark Camo talk about it quite a lot, mm-hmm. and um, I've never gotten around to seeing it. But it it is one I would like to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, me too. Uh, the Love Butcher is another story. I can't wait to hear the trivia on this one. I'm assuming, like most low budget films of the era, the guy playing the two lead roles was also the writer, director, producer, etc. I wonder what inspired it. It's a mixture of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, as well as the Doctor Jekyll and Mr. Hyde's story for sure. However, my guess is that the films of Herschel Gordon-Lewis probably had an impact on it. While many cheap films look alike, this one feels like one of his to me. This one also had an ending that I didn't see coming, but who the hell could have seen that? I'd also like to mention that this movie, as well as Mad Dog Killer from your last episode, both broke the BBFC's rule that a film couldn't feature blood and breasts in the same shot. Ah. Just trying to wrap my head around how some of these ended up on the Section 3 list. Finally, I'd like to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to Chris, Tom and all the strange and deadly listeners. I'll be looking forward to your eventual return in the new year. Seth. Well, thank you, Seth, and a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you too. Absolutely. And uh, he's right, though, isn't he? I mean, I guess the last horror film would be more of an obvious candidate for something like the Section 3 list. Mm. Maybe even the video nasties, but yeah, but Love Butcher, there's really nothing in there that, you know, would, would suggest that it would need to be on any kind of list. But then th- this is why these sorts of lists where you've got films that are basically being censored to some degree, they never make much sense no. at all. You know, it's just people throwing things in for the sake of it, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And I think it's a testament to how little uh these people who were trying to control this stuff at the time and say how bad it was how little they knew about any of it you know what i mean the stuff on this list that's that's more um hardcore than some of the video nasties you know mm. um who, that were on the section two list so it's all you know they didn't have a clue what they were doing at the time 
No, I bet many of these movies they never even saw. They just looked at the title and thought, "Oh, the Mad Dog Killer." Well, put that away. Mm. You know, the Love Butcher. Oh, we can't have the word butcher. No, 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 we can't have that. You know, and it's a uh, yeah, a bit of a shame, really. But uh, there you go. Thank you very much, Seth, for uh, listening, and uh, thank you for your email. Um, that's brilliant to hear from you. Thank you to everybody who wrote in on this one or sent in audio. Uh, that means a lot to us. And that's going to be it, guys. That's going to be the end of the show. Uh, we've got some stuff to clean up before we go. Of course, if you want to write in feedback to us when we come back in January, we don't exactly know when. We'll have you uh, look at our social media accounts, which we'll give you in a moment. That'll give you some clue of when we're going to be making a return. But we're going to enjoy our Christmas and New Year break. Um, if they want to find us, on, uh, find us on Twitter, Tom, where can they do that? We have our dual account, which is at Strange Deadly. And I am on Twitter as Grindhouse Tom. And I am at the Gore Boy. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram at the Chris Clayton over there. You can see me post up a few pictures now and then. Uh, so there's some stuff that happened quite recently. Uh, I appeared on an episode of Tangential Deviation. Now, I just want to uh, to say, first of all, that uh, this is uh, the show that's hosted by Dave Probert mm-hmm. from Geek Planet Online. And if you remember on the last episode, uh, we he'd written in some feedback about the film The Mad Foxes. And um, I had said on there you know that i was supposed to be on the show uh and my schedule hadn't worked out there were some things that happened in my personal life that prevented me from going on there and if he ever wanted me you know i would be happy to do it um i just wanted to point out that he didn't listen to that and think oh i better you know ask him as as because i feel sorry for him he actually asked me before we'd even put the episode out mm-hmm. um so he'd obviously had been you know thinking of it which is very kind of him and i appeared on on tangential deviation the episode is out now and basically it's a, a show a format where um, whatever guest he has on, they begin by discussing the subject that they they have a very strict one hour thing, uh, time slot, and uh, whatever they finish off on in the last episode, they carry on with the next guest on the next episode. And we began the episode with with, uh, with a very simple subject: just say no to George Lucas, <laughs> and it was quite an easy episode to. Uh, you know, quite an easy subject to start off on because I'm a you know passionate Star Wars fan, and we talked about Batman and a few other things, and uh, had a really good chat with him for an hour. So uh, check out Tangential Deviation, and be sure to check out the other episodes on there as well as well from Dave Probert. Um, really good fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been on it too way back when, so uh, back in the archives. Yeah, they had an original sort of incarnation of it, didn't they? And then he uh, relaunched the format with just him and and then a guest. Um, yeah, but uh, good fun to do, and um, I hope you enjoy listening to that. Anything happening in the world of Gentleman's Grindhouse Records, Tom? Um, not much, to be honest. <laughs> Just <laughs> playing <laughs> Fallout. Glad and so. asked now. Um, no, yeah, but, fair enough. You know, Brandy and Dave are always uh, putting, you know, episodes of the Dark Corner podcast on there, so they had a bit of a break for Thanksgiving and stuff like that, but they're back now, and um, I have recorded a new twilight zone podcast at the time of recording this it's not out but it will be out by the time this one goes out so it's on there anyway if you want it oh very nice uh now i have to ask you i never asked you this tom do you ever get feedback from people who because you're the twilight zone podcast is quite family friendly mm. um and intentionally so and and you know deservedly so for the for the subject matter do you ever get feedback from people who are like oh, i listened to you on that strange and deadly show your mouth <laughs> the mouth on you tom elliott it's a, it's a funny one, really, isn't it? Because I've I've always been of the opinion that uh, the the tone of the show should fit 
the subject matter so the twilight zone yeah. is a family show so i wouldn't swear on that um but this is like scuzzy horror films <laughs> you know what i mean because i i you know i've seen sh- I'm, I, I'm not commenting on how anyone does their podcast but i've seen shows where they're talking about you know a show which is on at you know before the watershed on, on normal tv so it's potentially yeah. a family show and they're like fucking this fucking that so yeah. and I, for me personally when i'm doing something i i like to uh, stick to what I, I think fits the the tone of whatever i'm talking about so no one's actually brought it up until now <laughs> <laughs> so i wonder if we have a lot of crossover there in terms of well know, some some works. people do I, I you know some people do write to me and stuff and say oh yeah i listen to this change and deadly show now and and i do wonder whether they think fucking well they there i go again but i do wonder whether <laughs> they think because I, on the twilight zone i am so like uh, you know I, I wouldn't even say shit on that um yeah so <laughs> yeah it's a it's a good point It'd be quite funny if you did one episode where you're like, Welcome to the fucking Twilight Zone podcast. You know, but no, you do it very well, my friend. Uh, please do uh, listen to that because it's a re- good show. And if you, you want some good late night listening, listen to the Twilight Zone podcast because um, nobody does it better than Tom. Cheers, buddy. Um, so that's that so that's it guys that's going to be the end of this episode let's tell you about what's coming up in the next episode when we return in the new year we're carrying on the serial killer themes what are the films we've got lined up Tom we've got like you say two more serial killer films these have a slight link in that they both seem to have an eye aspect to them like eyes Um, one is called Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll that's a lovely Jallo-esque title Um, and the other is called Headless Eyes, they're both new on me, haven't seen either of them and you know that's always a good thing Never even heard of them to be honest Tom so this will be, I hope we can find them (laughs) (laughs) it's one I think they probably sound so obscure that um, you know we might find have some difficulty but that's what it's going to be the blue eyes of the broken doll and the headless eyes uh, carrying on the serial killers with an eye fetish Mm on the new year episode of the strange and deadly show keep an eye on our twitter accounts and we'll announce on there when we come in back it shouldn't be too long but we're going to enjoy our time off uh in the meantime if you'd like to leave us a lovely christmas present and you have not done it so far leave us a positive review on itunes not a negative one where you call us an egotist and a mumbling bore but a uh, a positive one where you tell us that we're all right and stuff so um that would be great it'd be a lovely christmas present and uh, otherwise Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a wonderful holiday. Have a very happy new year. And we will see you in 2016 to carry on going through the films on the Section 3 list here on The Strange and Deadly Show. I've been Chris Clayton. And I'm Tom Elliott. And uh, my very best to you and your families and friends. All the best. Bye. Bye.
So, Tom, this is an obscure little number, mm. uh, one that you and I have seen for the very first time. Uh, what did you think of the Ludge? The Ludge? <laughs> the Ludge Budger. <laughs> what did you think of the Ludge Budger? <clears throat> Let me start that again. Put it in the bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ludge. I lodged it. I really did lodge it. <laughs> you lodged a long time. All right. So, Tom. <laughs> okay, you laughing in the background. Sorry, okay. I've got it again. I've got it. All right. <laughs>